Why doesn't the hero reveal himself and tell us all your real name? You do have a name. My name is Gladiator. How dare you show your back to me? Slave! You will remove your helmet and tell me your name. Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the North, general of the Felix Legions, loyal servant to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. Welcome to another episode of A Thousand and One by One, where each week we take a film out of the book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. And my name is Ian Woodington. And we are so close to the end of our little decade-by-decade decade celebration of film. Episode 98, we've reached to two, the year 2000, and uh, quite an epic film we're going to be discussing today. So epic, in fact, that we couldn't just do it with the two of us. No. We we have a Ridley Scott fanboy here, and Ian. Admit so. Admit it, please. Oh, I am I am head over heels in love with Sir Ridley Scott. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. To not to not have uh, BAFTA, introduced him. BAFTA <laughs> Fellowship winner 2018, <laughs> well, Sir Ridley Scott. I'm so sorry. I don't, I don't have his biography memorized. Um, From South Shields. Okay, cool. Uh but no, we also needed a, a Russell Crowe fan, and I'm uh, very happy to introduce Josh Nielsen. Josh, how are you? I'm doing great. Uh, thank you for having me, first of all. Oh, of um, course. Longtime fan of the show, but even bigger fan of the movie we're going to talk about. You know, no offense. Um, <laughs> I'm a huge fan of what should be Sir Russell Crowe. Mm. You know, I'm sure eventually down the line he'll, he'll get there. But Does um, Australia have an equivalent of that? Well, he's actually from New Zealand. Oh, yeah. shit. Well, no. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> so, way, uh, way to offend all of our Kiwi fans. <laughs> I'm, I'm done here now. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't work like this. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. It's such a great start. All right. Well, well, well we're, we're happy to have you. Thank you. I, we're going to get into it. There's a shitload to talk about. But before we do that, we got we to gotta start with some recommends. So, so, Josh, what do you have to recommend this week? Oh, that's a that's a great question. Um, I've actually, well, a, actually, a fellow Russell Crowe movie. I so, I just saw again for the first time. I gave it a pass when it came out. Um, I guess a few years ago now. But uh, I'm talking about Nice Guys with Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling. I actually saw it the first time, and it didn't it didn't really hit me. But this time, leading up to this, I wanted to rewatch some of Russell's movies that I haven't seen in a while. And um, for those that haven't seen it, it's it's uh, or, or know about it, it's it's, a, it's supposed to be a comedy. And um, admittedly, Ryan Gosling is kind of the one who shines in that one, in my opinion. But um, if you give it a chance, if you don't take it too seriously, I think it can really hit some some funny notes, and I think it's worth a watch. That, that's excellent. It was it made my ten best of the year. Really? Year. Oh yeah, loved it. Here, here's what I'll say: uh, I don't recommend watching that movie when you are trying to fill out loan paperwork on your first home purchase, uh, because I. 
I don't remember it. And I, I here's the thing: I've only heard good things about it, and yet my memory is I was fucking stupid because because the loan application process for buying a home is fucking stupid. Yeah. So uh, I, I wish I had more of a good take yeah. on the nice guys because I, um, that's also that's Shane Black, right? That is Shane Black. And I fucking I love Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Oh yeah. And I mean, it, if you're a Kiss Kiss Bang Bang fan, it is like second only to that as far as Shane Black's work is yeah. Yeah. is concerned. It is fucking hilarious from start to finish. And those two mm-hmm. were just, I think, meant to be together on yeah. the film. They just worked so well. My favorite moment in that movie is such a throwaway little thing. It's where uh, Russell has just come out of beating the shit out of Ryan Gosling. He like, breaks his arm and he says, oh, tell your doctor. It's like a radial fracture or some shit like that. And he comes out and his daughter is there. He's like, oh, his daughter's like, oh, you're a friend of friend of my dad's he's like yeah sort of and she's got a she's got a you uh, a couple a box of yuhu the the chocolate milk and she offers him one and he's like oh shit really he's, he's eating an apple he like tosses the apple so nonchalantly over his shoulder into the bush grabs one and he's like i haven't had one of these in 30 years and then the next cut is him going home to his uh his uh, apartment above the comedy store in like 1977 LA and he's got an entire case of yuhu yeah. <laughs> I think that is just such a great fun little throwaway detail I love it and I didn't that's the that's the kind of uh, those kind of cuts in humor I didn't quite appreciate the first time I will say to I guess to its fault it does have a prerequisite of you need to have you know a, probably like a two drink buzz going to really get the oh, full benefit yeah, definitely you know for it to hit its best um, but if you can get past that uh, which was no problem for me um, it's a good time yeah. Shane Shane Black can be a little testy and I'm I'm really glad that that film wasn't set at Christmas even though he yeah. still manages to get a fucking Christmas reference in at the end. I don't know what his we have to at this point I think call it a fetish on the level of Tarantino's foot fetish is is Shane Black's fetish for Christmas cuz Iron Man 3 no reason for that film to be set at Christmas but it is because it's a Shane Black film. Yeah, fine. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah, that's that's his thing. That, it's his thing. I'm not. I'm not. Well, I am judging him a little bit for it. I don't. I don't know what it is. I just want to know. I just want to get inside his head and go. What is your obsession with Christmas, bro? <laughs> so, well, when that happens, please let me know how I, it goes. I will. I'm, I'm yeah. very excited. About I'm. It. I'm sure it'll go very well. Yes, indeed. Um. So I. I was gonna do a Russell Crowe recommendation, but I'm. I'm not because I'm sure we'll get into Russell Crowe. Wait, is your recommendation White Squall? No, it's not. Oh my God, it's not. It's not White, white Squall at all. That movie is so bad. No, um, I. So, but I'm sure I'll talk about it. But my my recommendation is not related to either Ridley Scott or Russell Crowe. But um, it's something that I I kind of got talked into, and uh, uh, Melissa had watched the first season of this Netflix show called Dead to Me, and she was like, uh, "There's a second season, but I'm not gonna watch it because I want you to watch the first season with me." And I was like. Yeah, okay, sure. I'll, you know, we'll check it out. And I didn't know much about it except for I, I knew that it was Christina Applegate and uh, Linda Cardinelli are the two leads in it. Like, But that's all I know. And what happens in the first episode, and I will tell you kind of spoilers, but it's it, it, it runs so much deeper than this that it, I'm not going to give anything away. So um, Christina Applegate's husband has died. He's been hit, hit and run in a car accident. Um, and uh, she has two boys. And Linda Cardinelli is the one who hit her husband. Uh, but she ends up befriending Christina Applegate and moving in with her to kind of help with the kids and the stuff. And from there, it only gets more like I'm going to use the word outrageous, but it, it, I think it's doing too much because it's it's a comedy, but it's also really dark. Lots of crying, lots of grieving. And yet it finds these moments to just like fucking coming out of nowhere, just make you bust out laughing. Um, 
James Marsden is in it. Um, he's great. I there's just a lot of like a smaller roles. Like a lot of people, you'd be like, oh, I know you from something, but I don't know quite what it is. Um, the show managed to basically each episode introduce something that was like, oh fuck no, what like and just to keep you engaged like throughout. And it's like thirty minute episodes. We went through two seasons in like two weeks. It was, I mean, you know, and we could have probably done more, but um, the right amount of comedy, the right amount of drama. Christina Applegate, who I never, honestly, I would say I never took seriously as an actress, um, is fucking killing it in this show. Killing it. I really, it got renewed for a third season. I cannot recommend the show enough. Liz was a really big fan of it. It's she loves it. really good. It's really good. And I and we I was bummed because we we did we started one episode of the Kaminsky method, which I know I'm going to like, uh, because Michael Douglas is in it and he's playing an acting teacher, and it, there's a lot of in jokes in just the one episode I saw, so I'm I'm really excited <laughs> to watch that. But um, dead to me, I fucking really really like that show. So there great. you go. Sounds great. Awesome. Uh, Ian, that leaves you. That what leaves you me, and I have I do have a Ridley Scott film. There you go. And this will be no surprise to either of you. You've both known me long enough to know my affinity for this film, but our listeners may not. And my recommend to pair with Gladiator this week is Kingdom of Heaven mm. from 2005, specifically the director's cut. Now, Adam and I have bat the ball back a couple of times about director's cut and their validity and things like that. Now, Ridley Scott is known as being the sort of grandfather of the whole sort of concept of director's cuts going back as far as Blade Runner. Uh, this one, it really makes a difference. I mean, really, really does. He, on this film, he's sort of become a super producer in a way. If you look at his list of TV credits, his list of film credits of other films that he hasn't directed. But in this case, he really had to wear both hats as a director and a producer. And he had to make a lot of compromises knowing that, look, I've got this vision for this huge epic three-hour and ten-minute film, but I also know that that's not commercially viable. If you go over two and a half hours, you lose a screening a day. So the the theatrical cut got, as it deserves to be, quite widely panned because it is just a sort of shell. It's it's a hollow shell of itself. Um, the director's cut, 100% the way to go. So this film stars uh, a huge cast, so just bear with me. Orlando Bloom, Michael Sheen, David Thewlis, Liam Neeson, Kevin McKidd, uh, Martin Sokas... Uh, Alexander Siddig, who some people will know from Syriana. Uh, Ava Green, in sort of a breakout role for her. She would go on to do Casino Royale the year after. Brendan Gleeson, in one of my absolute favorite roles that he's ever been in as uh, Reynold de Chatillon. Uh, Jeremy Irons. Uh, John Finch, who was the original Kane from Alien. We talked a little bit about him on the Alien episode, so he finally got his redemption and actually got to be in a Ridley Scott film. And then we've also got a great uh, two great cameos. One of them is Ian Glenn. Most people know him from Game of Thrones. He pops up right at the end as uh, Richard the Lionheart and then Edward Norton, who is behind a mask the entire film and deliberately left his name off oh, the credits. that's oh. right. Yeah. That's he plays uh, He plays King Baldwin in that. Okay. So this is a film set in the, the Crusades, set in the 1100s, uh, about a French blacksmith, the Orlando Bloom character. He has pretty much lost his faith. His wife uh, died in childbirth. Oh, sorry, they had a child that they lost, and then his wife killed herself out of the grief. Um, and so, you know, we're in the dark ages. We're in a, in, a, in a time where people really believe that, you know, she is damned for eternity. She's going to hell, and so now he is left ultimately with nothing. And his 
his long lost father played by Liam Neeson comes home to sort of claim him and take him back to Jerusalem with him, take him back to the Crusades. Along the way, Liam Neeson uh, gets killed and now it's up to Balian when he gets back to Jerusalem to kind of take over in his father's stead and become the sort of protector of uh, Jerusalem. This is at a point in the Crusades where uh, the Christian, it's a Christian dominated territory with a very shaky truces, very shaky alliances. Uh, but as you would come to expect from any sort of great epic Ridley Scott film like Gladiator, it is epic in every single sense of the word. And as I said, this director's cut is a much more fully formed, fully thought out, you know, realization of, of his vision. And there's a whole subplot, uh, including Ava Green's son. And there's a lot more stuff at the beginning to really flesh out the characters. It's just the epitome of what a director's cut should be. It's not easily dismissible as, oh, it's not, you know, five or ten extra minutes here or there. It is a properly different film. I'm kind of surprised a, a director of Ridley's uh, caliber and renown, especially at that point, with, as you said, this was 2005? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That would have that much change or um, a little control over the theatrical release right. and how much change went over in the director's cut. And well, I, you'd be you'd be surprised just how few directors have final cut and right. what little final cut does actually mean for the directors who who actually have it. There are so few of them and studio interference, of course, they've they've got, you know, the business side of things to to you know, yeah. be concerned with and I think I think Ridley I think Ridley thought he he was doing the right thing, but at the same time I mean, he really kind of shot himself in the foot box office-wise. Uh, but, but luckily, we're in an age of, of DVD and Blu-ray and digital, so you can right. have these alternate cuts. And well, I don't want to step too much on, on talking about Gladiator, but one thing I wanted to bring up, which I'll just, I'll just bring up now because we've, we've mentioned box office a little bit, is that uh, Gladiator, when it came out, was the third highest grossing film that year. The second only to Mission Impossible. How to, oh, the the, world, worldwide? No, the U.S. Okay. All right. Sorry. I, do you want to do that over? I do. Okay. Because <laughs> it was second worldwide. <laughs> Maybe we'll just keep it all in. Okay, it's no. up to you. So, no. You can see the infighting. <laughs> U.S. gross. It was the third highest grossing film that year, behind Mission Impossible 2 and um, uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Um, but but mostly, all, all I was driving at there was that, you know, Russell Crowe and Ridley Scott were able to basically put this movie out that had no IP, was not a part of the franchise, was not recognizable in any way, except for that it was kind of about real people. But even then, we can talk about that later, too. <laughs> like, not even really. Mm -hmm. and, well, and it's the same case with Kingdom of Heaven. It's all based in reality. Balian was a real guy. He really handed Jerusalem back to the Muslims. I mean, so th that is all based in reality. Same with Gladiator. It has that sort of basis. But it's, it's doing the Quentin Tarantino thing before... Quentin <laughs> sure. ever ever sure. thought to do bastards, but just but just going back to what Josh said, like it, you know, it's it's you know from an outsider perspective, you know, somebody who who put out like you know one of the highest grossing films of the year, won Best Picture. A few years later, he gets or the next year he gets nominated again for Best Director for Black Hawk Down. Like clearly, he's got sway going for him, and I get. But to go back to what you said too about wearing two hats, right? Like the director and him probably mm -hmm. wanted to like just watch the cut I want you to watch, but also like. Is it going to make any money if we do it that way? Right. I, yeah. That's just all the shit you got to think about when you're doing oh, this. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So uh, there we go. Three great recommends. Yeah. And they're all over the place. All different types of, of, of genres and formats. So mm -hmm. perfect. There we go. So now we get into it. We're now, we're into 2000. And um, 
We're talking about Gladiator. We've already mentioned uh, directed by Ridley Scott. Written by David Franzoni, John Logan, and William Nicholson. By all accounts, Franzoni's script was a fucking mess. Um, uh, I, I did watch the... Um, the GQ interview with Russell Crowe that, you know, talk about your iconic roles. And he, I mean, even, even now is basically like, yeah, there was no script to work with when we got there. Yeah. John um, Logan came in and patched up some dialogue. And then I think it, it, right at the end there, William Nicholson was actually the guy on set doing rewrites kind of as they went along. And just want to throw out too, that, that John Logan and William Nicholson uh, are wonderful playwrights of their own. So if, like the really great pieces of dialogue of which, Half of my notes were almost just quotes from the fucking movie. Um, <laughs> That's lo- easy to do. A lot of props to, to to John Logan and William Nicholson. I know um, that their script was nominated for Best Original Screenplay. It didn't, it didn't win. We'll talk about that later. But um, you, you got to really appreciate what they did, considering just how much th- there is about, like, the script was, like, nuts and bolts, but, like, no detail. <laughs> it reminds me of uh, The Rock as well. I remember listening to the uh, Criterion commentary that had... Ed Harris and Nicolas Cage and them talking about, yeah, we had half a script, maybe. Like, they wrote most of the dialogue that's in The Rock. Same with Russell Crowe claims that he wrote quite a bit of his own dialogue. Same with Joaquin. Yeah. And they both felt extremely uncomfortable saying these kind of things. Oh, it's okay. What does he say in that GQ interview? Okay, I guess I'll just be a Roman general now. Yeah. yeah. And then saving, you know, making sure that they, they had an air of silliness on set so that they save all that seriousness for in front of the camera. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about who's in this movie. Um, obviously we're, we're basically revolving around Russell Crowe who plays Maximus and walking Phoenix who plays Commodus. Um, but also we have Connie Nielsen who plays Lucilla. Oliver Reed is Proximo. Um, I'm sure we probably will spend a solid five minutes straight of Ian just talking about Proximo and how much he loves Oliver Reed. Um, it was impossible to light the man badly. He is he is my number one not, classic Hollywood man crush. Not the first time you've said that on on this on this podcast. And it probably won't be the last. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> um, we also have uh, Derek Jacobi, a uh, very famed Shakespeare actor, playing Gracchus. Uh, Jaiman Hunsu as Juba. Richard Harris as Marcus Aurelius. Rolf Mahler as Hagen. Um, you know he's the big burly dude. Who who pretends to die? That's a, that's a funny. That's a funny good bit. Moment. That's a good bit. <laughs> um, Tommy Flanagan with his Glasgow grin playing Cicero, um, and then here are just some other ones because they're they're in it. And so you know, just yell at me if I leave somebody out. Uh, so we have David Schofield who plays Falco and John Shrapnel who plays Gra- uh, Gaius. Those are senators. Um, Thomas Arana who plays Quintus who kind of is buddy buddy with with Maximus and then not and then kind of again later and he, I have some I have some thoughts on that character. Um Spencer Treat Clark who plays uh Lucius, he is the son of Lucilla. And then Svenol Thorson playing Tigress of Gaul. Have you seen Abraxas? <laughs> is this a movie that's on your radar? It's called Abraxas. Oh my god. The only other thing I know him from is The Running Man. So, oh that's true. Yes. Yeah. So 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 Svenol Thorson is in a movie called Abraxas. And he's in it. It's him and Jesse Ventura are the two leads, and it is hot garbage. Oh my god, it is bad. But like, we're still worth watching. Bad. Or? Oh yes, yes. Oh, okay, like, okay. like, like yeah. real bad. Okay. Like, ooh, yeah, yeah. Like funny bad. Um, so who who I leave out? Did I leave anybody out that you want? Uh, well, to? I would I would throw a shout out to David Hemmings, uh, who plays Cassius. He's the an, an announcer at the Coliseum, and as IMDb's trivia will tell you, those pointed eyebrows are in fact his own. Yeah, wow. one of his last roles was um, 
Also one of, uh, or was Sean Connery's last movie. Um, That's right. Of Extraordinary Gentleman. Unfortunately, but he had quite Another a great classic. career. He was in. <laughs> well, that you can you can go back and check out Adam's Below Freezing episode on that. It gets quite. Uh, oh, I got heated. It My gets, wife it gets loves contentious. That movie. It gets contentious she real quick. She was confused quick. as to why we were covering it on the show. Oh, it's so good. It's, um, it's a really good one. I would also call out um, Omid Dajali, who's a British comedian. He A lot of people will recognize him from The Mummy. Uh, he's the guy that sells uh, Proximo, the queer oh, giraffe. Gotcha, gotcha. Mm. And uh, he he has a great quote where uh, right before they did that scene, Oliver Reed asked him, "Hey, are you a method actor?" And then actually squeezed his nuts. And he's quite proud of that. He says that I bet there's very few actors out there who can say Oliver Reed has fondled their nuts. End quote. <laughs> Let's hope that's a short list. Right. And then we Just also for the have sake of uh, his you know reputation. I would call out Giorgio. Uh, Cantarini, who's Maximus's son, he's very famous for being the little kid in Life is Beautiful, mm-hmm. and uh, Gianna Fascio, who is Ridley Scott's wife. Say, why bring that up? Why bring her up? I'm just well, kidding. If, well, she's been in uh, every Ridley Scott movie since Gladiator, except for his most recent two, Alien Covenant and uh, All the Money in the World, which I did rewatch I, right before this podcast, and so, that that holds up okay. fantastically well. I, I want you to well, well actually, we're, well, I think we're there. I think we're yeah. here at this moment. So, so uh, Ridley Scott is in the mo- is in the movie. Ridley Scott is in the book uh, four times, and we've discussed one of his movies already in Alien. Um, he's also in there for Blade Runner and Thelma and Louise. So let's just let's take a like a few moments now, and we'll just let's have a like a little Ridley Scott chat because I also spent this week basically watching things that were Ridley Scott and, and Russell Crowe as much as much as I could. Um, I already tipped my hand saying that you watched White Squall, and I did. White I did watch White Squall. It's Dead Poet Society wow. on a boat. Yeah, man. Uh, not good. <laughs> Just not good. I mean, uh, Je- Jeff Bridges commits. He's he, pretty good. He is. It. He is. But it's almost worse because he's he's leaps and bounds so much better than everybody else. Oh yeah. And this yeah. was like a like, and this is a who's who of like young male actors in this. Like it's it's Scott Wolf and Ryan Phillippe and Jeremy Sisto and the guy from Full House whose name I can't remember, but he had a recurring role on it and um. Fuck, there's more. I just can't. I can't think of their names. Um, not good. Not not a good. Not a good movie at all. I did watch All the Money in the World, which I had never seen. Did um, you dig it? It's okay. Uh, it's it's fine. I liked it much better on second viewing. It's, there's something about that movie where I think it's going to be remembered more for the behind the scenes sort of fiasco where they had to, you know, they said fuck Kevin Spacey because fuck Kevin yeah, Spacey. Yeah. And they recast him at the zero. They literally were a week away from release, pulled it, and then reshot everything with Christopher Plummer, who was actually the original choice for Getty, uh, over a period of three weeks, over like a Thanksgiving break. Um, out of I, I don't even want to know how much it cost them to do it, but I think it's I think I think it was really great that the Globes recognized both Christopher Plummer and Ridley Scott with nominations. Yeah, I, I yeah, I, and you can see I think. I think almost my biggest issue is that you can see the work. Like it's, I think it's really on the surface, the extra stuff that they had to do to get him in there. And that's, that's no fault against anybody. And I think I almost felt like this was like a, like a class experiment. Like, like you made a movie. Now you got to film somebody else and put them in your movie. And it's not, I mean, and it's not bad. I mean, Christopher Plummer was great, but it's, it was, it was, it was okay. Um, that bums me out. I really like that one. That one is growing on me. But quite my a bit. my question that I wanted to, to put out here is: so it's Alien, Blade Runner, Thelma and Louise, and Gladiator. 
are those the right four movies of Ridley Scott to be in the book? He can have no more, no less, just for this experiment. I, I think so. I, I, I'm I, I pretty really happy. struggle to think of anything to either to replace it with that, that really should go in there. Well, and... you're, you dig on Black Hawk Down, right? I dig on it, but I don't know if it's one that you have to see. All right. See, and that's that, fair. That's so I, I, I off mic. I told you I, I watched that at a very inappropriately early hour this morning. Um, I think it was two thirty a.m. It was two thirty a.m. Um, <laughs> and like that movie is is really filmed so well. Oh, it's great. It's, it's so. But I also it's it's tough because I, uh, I look at this list. I think I. Asked what I would watch first, I would pick Black Hawk Down over Blade Runner, and that's just out of personal bias. But I also don't think I could take Blade Runner out for Black Hawk Down. It's it's too it's too iconic. It's just too goddamn good. It feels like too important or too influential of a of a movie to not have in the yeah, list. And that's that's the thing too is yeah. it does it lives up in this like this upper echelon of film. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like with Alien, they're both in the sort of rarefied atmosphere of. Yeah you know, at this point, classic film. Yeah. Mm. My only other Ridley Scott take I wanted to make at this moment was have you've seen matchstick men? Yes. Yeah. What are your thoughts on matchstick? Men? I love matchstick men. I, I, have you seen it? No. Okay. You, I, you will really like matchstick. Think men. So? I, I really think you'll like it. So here's the thing. It is not a bad movie. And I, most and I watched it. It was like a Sunday night. Kids were in bed, open a bottle of wine. And it was very entertaining. I, I really liked it. I liked what Nick Cage was doing. It was a role kind of, I, I feel like just tailor made for him, um, not too much Nick Cage, like just just enough. But he does him. he does still go full Cage in it. Well, sure, because but I think it it's a role that allows it. It's not Nick Cage deciding I'm just gonna do it. Like mm-hmm. I think the role w- it really helps for that. Um, the I won't say what it is, but okay. the the twist it oh, doesn't so work for me. Really, no. I think the twist is solid. Man. It, where it, it's it's I, I it's not built on anything. There's like no. It's like twist, but we won't explain how or why. It's just twist. I just can't. I can't buy that. Well, I, I, it's kind of based on Sam Rockwell's greed, I think. But okay, but that, maybe, that maybe is what it's based that's, off. That's, of. that's not enough for you. I, I, it's no, it right. comes out of nowhere. It's it's it, there's nothing. And of course, it's not enough because there's nothing. Well, I think if we saw Sam Rockwell being more of an opportunist towards the beginning of the movie, it'd be an easier sell. I just don't. There's there's. I, mm. I, that, the I, end I'm of that just, movie I, is not good. I'm just playing devil's advocate. <laughs> I wanted to lie. It like was such a letdown because the movie is so charming. Yeah. Through the like the ninety percent of it, and it, then it just like it, slaps you in the face. And it's so different for Ridley, which is yeah. the other thing I appreciate. Here's my hot take. Uh oh. I love a good year. Like that is his. That is a film that is like at the bottom of the fucking pile when people rank Ridley Scott yeah, it's movies. Sitting about twenty percent, right? It's on, like twenty percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Tomatoes. So it'd be good fodder for oh snap below freezer. Always <laughs> looking for material on below. So freezer. if you're looking for something to pair with, it wasn't streaming anywhere. I couldn't. I couldn't get. Oh it. really? Okay. I and I wasn't gonna. I wasn't gonna pay money for it. I wanted to. I wanted to try it. I have. I didn't end up watching it in the lead up, and I. I wanted to try it, but I unfortunately it's, watched the trailer and it's really charming couldn't even get through the trailer i mean it's a predictable <laughs> romantic comedy you yeah. know what's going to happen at the end but i mean if you want to hear me genuinely belly laugh like yeah. that film fucking does it for me like russell is so fucking good in it it's just really just, just tickle you a little bit it, it, yeah. well yeah <laughs> you got to find out where i'm ticklish though <laughs> that, that does remind me though I was, I was thinking about ridley scott as a director his career spanned like how many years now when was his, uh, first, his first film was 1977 77 uh, it's been 
first. Yes. Yeah. He's still held. I mean, he's still as as an iconic director. But ha- can you think of a director that's had such a up and down? At least if you just look at the theatrical release of his movies and the critical reception and box office numbers. I mean, his highs are very very high, but his lows are also very low. like Exodus, mm. Gods and Kings. I've seen that twice, and it just did not get any better on the second viewing. Right. That's a good point. Yeah. Because I was I I was trying to jump I was, in my mind. I'm, I was jumping the end of your question. I was like yeah. Scorsese, but but yeah. but. I, I don't think his lows were ever that low. Scorsese? Scorsese? Yeah. 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 I, I don't know. Have you seen Bringing Out the Dead? I, I have. It's uh, it's okay. Yeah. But but it's also not, it's not like White Squall. <laughs> it's, yes. It is definitely better than White I'm Squall. The one White that, Squall is so bad. You know the one I wish I had rewatched and I just ran out of time was G.I. Jane. I have not seen. I haven't seen that. I, I haven't seen, seen it. I haven't seen G.I. Jane in probably 20 years. It's been a. I've seen it, but it's, it's a been long a hot time. Ago I remember Vigo. I just saw the TV cut. I remember Vigo being really fucking good, in right? It. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, cool. Okay. Well, there we go. There was our little Ridley Scott corner. I'm sure we'll talk about we'll, him some more. We'll come back episode. to that. You oh, know, yeah. he he did direct the film we're talking about. Um. So accolades. Here we go. Um. At the Academy Awards, it it won a bunch of Oscars. One of them being Best Picture. Also won Best Actor, Best Costume Design, Best Sound Mixing, and Best Visual Effects. What it lost was Director. Uh, supporting actor, those are both to traffic. Original screenplay, that it lost to Almost Famous. Editing, also to traffic. Cinemat- cinematography, production design, and score, all lost to Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Um, Can we mention the bullshit that is Lisa Gerard not being included I was in gonna, that score I was nomination? Gonna, I was going to mention that. Now, at the Globes, her but, name was on there too, but it's right. one of the Academy rules that yeah. only one composer yeah. can be listed as the nominee for that, which is so weird considering how many people they list on like sound at times, it's like, Mm -hmm. here are the 17 people who did sound for star Wars, the force awakens. And we can't list another composer. Yeah. Okay. Considering that her contribution, I think is monumental to that score. Well, and I can't wait to talk about the score because I, I just, cause I just, I can't there, wait. There's a lot to talk about. It. Yeah. Um, and I, and I always take a second to talk about the Oscars cause I, it's, that's, my, well, it's we should also, jam. we should also address, uh, I know you're not going to side with me on this. Maybe, maybe Josh can be our, our voice of reason here. Mm. Here we go. I I'm sorry. I I don't think I don't think Steven Soderbergh should have gotten the Oscar. This this was Ridley's year, man. You know, it's I've never actually like in in the research I've done just on Oscar trivia stuff. A, such a highly contested year for Best Director because Ang Lee won the DGA, and um uh Ridley. Did not win the BAFTA. That was that Soderbergh. I believe that. Uh, I believe that was Soderbergh as well. I don't have who won. I just know that. I oh just no, sorry. He... Ang Lee won the uh, the BAFTA as well. Okay, but so. like you know, it was definitely there was a lot of kind of who, who's going to win it, right? And it, I mean, even with Best Picture too, because I mean, you know, Traffic won four Oscars. Crouching Tiger won four. This won five. I mean, at that point in the night. It wouldn't have been surprising to hear Traffic win Best Picture, considering the four that it won. You know, three three pretty major with director, screenplay, and um, supporting actor. I mean, yeah, you had a great trifecta there between Crouching Tiger, Traffic, and, and Gladiator. It was really anybody's night. But yeah. in my mind, Ridley, Ridley brought back a dying genre That's and true. did it fucking spectacularly. I, I, and, yeah. and, and he is quoted as saying, I mean, it's a bit arrogant, but Ridley is one of those. I love hearing him talk. Because of he's got an air of arrogance because of what he's accomplished. I mean, before he made his first film, he had made something like two thousand commercials. I mean, he was a guy that was churning out directors 
left and right guys coming through his commercial school going on to make features and he said fuck it why haven't i done one and then he financed the duelists himself and then goes on to win not the not the um not the palm d'Or it can but he goes on to win the grand jury prize first film out yeah i it, it was his year man and he said i don't know what the fuck they thought i did on that film <laughs> which is is kind of fair yeah i i, I know this is an elementary thought and this will probably bounce off of the two of you, but I don't, I don't quite understand how a film can win Best Picture in a director. It seems like it, almost like a, almost like an NFL. You have like a quarter, you have the MVP, you know, and it's always the best quarterback or whatever. Yeah. In this case, the so much of what makes a film great, it seems like the the director is going to have the most impact on getting the best, the good performances out of the the actors, having everything all come together at once. Um, it seems like. Uh, I understand it, in a lot of cases it must just be to to acknowledge the work that another director did on another film. In this case, though, I, I do feel like it should have been Ridley Scott. Well, it's it's that you bring up a great point, which is the difference between best picture and best director. I think another point that, that, that I, I often think of is, well, what's, different, what's the difference between best director and best cinematography? Now, I know what the difference is, but I think that, I, you know, upon asking somebody who doesn't watch, who, who doesn't get in, into this, like as the, the nerdy level that we do, it's like, oh, this looks like this because of the director. Eh, no, that's not true. And, and we all know that. But um, but that's interesting because I, I often wonder, well, you know, why isn't it that, you know, it's the same five best pictures are also nominated for best director. I mean, mm-hmm. and this, and it's really, and, then, and this year's even more kind of crazy because I think, wasn't Soderbergh nominated twice? He was for Aaron Brockovich and Traffic, which in my, at my, I remember at the time thinking, okay, well that will split the vote. Yeah. And it, it has no other choice but to land on, it's either going to be Ridley or Ang Lee was, was my rationale because, because Soderbergh is nominated twice. Yeah. That's not to say, I, I think that Soderbergh didn't, not deserve it sure or, yeah or, I, I, I don't think I didn't deserve traffic. it I love but traffic. Yeah. I just I don't know I feel like the it, just from my perspective that Ridley had a more impressive performance as a director in that particular year than Soderbergh for, for well, and he didn't have a great 90s either mm-hmm. I mean he started the decade off incredibly strong with Thelma and Louise I mean great fucking movie mm-hmm. and then he goes on to make probably three of a run of three genuinely terrible films and i like i like as i said maybe gi jane is better than i remember it because i haven't seen it in so long but he makes 1492 which is my least favorite film of his it is a fucking rush job he was in a, a race against another director to make the columbus movie you know the 500 year anniversary 1992 of finding of columbus discovering america which of the course, movie everybody was clamoring for of course so he makes <laughs> yeah. he makes that and then he casts like gerard depardieu as columbus and like sigourney weaver as queen isabella which is the str- some of the strangest fucking casting in history so he makes 1492, which is a great-looking film. He got Vangelis back to score the film as he did in Blade Runner, but it's just it's a fucking wasted effort. Then he makes White Squall, which we've already disparaged, and then I said G.I. Jane. So this, not only did he resurrect the sword and sandals epic film sort of subgenre, he also resurrected his career. Well, mm. and, and and I swear we'll move away from the Oscars here in a second, but, <laughs> but like... It's, it's you, worthy discussion. But you look at Gladiator, and... The cinematography. I remember at one point, I because I, I know I'll mention this. The I, I called it a montage. That's probably not the right word, but the sequence of events that happens after he's essentially been captured, um, 
uh, and like Juba is like taking the thing off of his off of his face, and it's got these like the landscapes go crazy, and it's like he's floating over the rocks, and like that's like visually just amazing. It's great. And then step aside and talk about another movie that we've talked about on the show, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. I think beautifully shot. I think the cinematography is gorgeous. I think it's I think it's a really beautiful film. Traffic in almost every sense is an ugly film. Oh, absolutely. And 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 but I I do love visually what they do. The well, light it's deliberately ugly. Oh yeah, no, I know, I know that. But like it is like it looks like you know he went to Target and got like a, an old DV camera and like I'm just gonna shoot on this. <laughs> um, and so it's just like it's. To go back to this like idea of director and picture, like how does that not sync up? I don't know, right? <laughs> because you can't say that this was like a cinematography kind of thing. Like, like clearly they were probably giving. I have to imagine it's like handling the cast, handling the story. I I, I don't know, but that's a it's a great unanswerable question. Right, that it's, yeah. That's that's fun to have these kind of conversations about mm. because I I don't know. Well, so I have often no idea. So often when you see one film, one director, and 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 some film win picture in my mind it, to me it almost feels like the vote was split and they couldn't as well we've got two and we really can't decide so let's give one i know it's not how it works right yeah. but that's kind of in my mind how i've rationalized it well we couldn't decide between a and we couldn't decide between traffic and gladiator so we're going to give one one and one the other yeah well that was uh, i'm going to sound like a little doofus here but that was 20 uh 2019 right with uh with parasite and uh, well, that's what we all thought was going to happen. Right. Oh. I I was convinced that was going to happen. I was convinced Bong Bong was going to win director, 1917 picture. And I actually thought the opposite. Oh, did you? I thought Parasite would win, but because of the, the, like the the visual focus of 1917, I thought it would go best director. Now, of course, I was thrilled because yeah. Parasite won won them all, and I was just fucking jazzed. I like 1917 is still the better I, movie. It is not. Um, <laughs> it totally is. It is but not that's okay. at all. No, it's fine. It's fine. You, you're just you're you're ignorant. Wow. <laughs> Here, it was you, the first word that do you came want that to knife play. back. <laughs> no, you can keep it there. I'm sure I'll use it later. It's fine. <laughs> Jesus. Derailed. Okay. Okay. All right. Let's go through the rest of the accolades. So yes, uh, the Golden Globes it won Best Picture and Score. It lost Director, Actor, and Supporting Actor. The BAFTAs it won the Audience Award, Best Film. Cinematography, production design, and editing. It lost a bunch. I'm not there are too many. It was the BAFTAs love this movie. Um, but here we got to stop. Do oh, you know? Shit. Do you know what it lost visual effects to at the BAFTAs? Uh, Two thousand. Hollow Man. No fucking okay. Perfect Storm. Oh, I, that I, movie. I, I haven't seen it. I've watched that movie within the last two years. Does not fucking hold up <laughs> at all, as compared to this, which clearly fucking does. I know I mentioned a while ago. If you want to watch a better Mark Wahlberg at sea movie, watch Deepwater Horizon. It's definitely on my radar. I'm excited to do that. Um, at the SAGs, uh, it was nominated for Best Ensemble and Actor and Supporting Actor. Uh, the National Board of Review put it in its top 10. Gave Best uh, Supporting Actor to Walking Phoenix. Also won Best Production Design. The AFI said it was the film of the year. It picked up a DGA nom and a PGA win. Um, I have it at number 42 on the IMDb Top 250. That's correct. On either side, we have 1960s Psycho and City Lights, the uh, Charlie Chaplin film. Good company. Good company. Yeah, also, so. sidebar really quick. We have not done a Chaplin on this show yet. That is very high up my list <laughs> okay. for season three. Just, just, just very, putting it out very, there. Because we did Buster Keaton. Yes, it's time. Did. It's definitely time to do. And we, we also did Marx Brothers. Yeah. So we got it. Chaplin's gotta, in there a lot. Too, he is. So, so yeah. definitely. Um, uh, and my vote is Modern Times. But we can oh, deal with yeah, that later. Yeah, that's yeah. fine. Um, Rotten Tomatoes. It has a 77% 
critical and Not an 87 percent audience, which is going to lead right into we have to talk about Roger Ebert's oh, we fucking do. two star review. I'm so glad Josh is here because there's a sentence in there that we, with his expertise, we need to deal with. But go okay. ahead. So I'm gonna. Re- I have a, a paragraph that I'm gonna pull out, and if you have more, please, you know, fill in, fill in the blanks. Yeah. A foolish choice in art direction casts a, pa- a pall over Ridley Scott's Gladiator that no swordplay can cut through. The film looks muddy, fuzzy, and indistinct. Its colors are mud tones at the drab end of the palette, and it seems to have been filmed on grim and overcast days. This darkness and a lack of detail in the long shots help obscure shabby special effects. The Colosseum in Rome looks like a model from a computer game. And the characters bring no cheer. They're bitter, vengeful, depressed. By the end of this long film, I would have traded any given gladiatorial victory for just one shot of blue skies. There are blue skies in the hero's dreams of long ago happiness, but that proves the point. The story... (laughs) Sorry, I laughed before I could say the last line. The storyline is Rocky on Downers. I I really don't mean to speak ill of the dead, but Roger Ebert... You know, you can be wrong every once in a while. This is the montage right here I'm talking about. Uh, so, yeah. for Look at for this. Our, this is not... This is gorgeous. Yeah. So, so for our listeners, we do... This is the first time we've ever done this because we're recording this all together in, in my home. We have the film on in the background, and this is in stunning 4K. I mean, now, obviously, I mean, they didn't have 4K back in 2000. <laughs> So we, we have the benefit of, of that technology now, but this film looks stunningly beautiful. Yeah, it couldn't be more off base in my opinion. And well, my, my, my first thought when I read that was, did he only watch up until the point where he gets free when he's fighting in the snow and then give up? Because, yeah, the, all that stuff, when they're, they're in the woods, it's darker, it's snowing, it's not bright, it's not Morocco or wherever the hell they film this. Like, it's, you know what I mean? Like, it's... It's drab because of where they are. Yeah. There's a whole rest of the movie where it doesn't look like that. Yeah, I mean, we're looking at it right now. They are in Morocco. I see blue moment. sky right there. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> there it is. I'm so glad that happened at this moment. I just, I don't know. Like, I and I obviously, I respect his opinion. I usually go to Roger Ebert because he's he's most known. People know him. Mm-hmm. He had a, he, you know, how many critics got a fucking television show? But I just, I, this is I just plain wrong. So there are other, other, another couple of sentences I want to bring up just to prove how wrong he is. Please and then do. I want to come back to a point yes. with Josh here that was in the, uh, in the first paragraph that you read there. He says, Glad-, he goes on to say, Gladiator lacks joy. It employs depression as a substitute for personality. I don't know what the fuck that means. And believes that the characters, believes that if the characters are bitter and morose enough, we won't notice how dull they are. Gladiator is being hailed by those with short memories as the equal of Spartacus and Ben-Hur. This is more like Spartacus light or dark. It's only, nece- it's only necessary to think back a few months to Julie Taymor's Titus for a film set in ancient Rome that, immeasurably, that is immeasurably better to look at. The visual accomplishment of Titus shames Gladiator, and its story is a whole heck of a lot better than the Gladiator screenplay, even if Shakespeare didn't make his Titus the only undefeated champion in Roman history. Now, I don't know if either of you have seen Titus. I scoured high and low for this thing has been out of print for the better part of a decade. That was a half-price book bundle purchase for me. Um, I have seen it. 
It's long as hell. It's right? long. It's long. And here's the thing: Titus Andronicus. Again, I'm gonna. I'll be a nerd for a second. Is well, it's not, like it's like the least done Shakespeare play, right? No, it's like, it, no, it's, it's like not up there. It's well, it's the gore is a reason why people want to do it. Oh, it's right. very. It's his most violent play. Yeah, for sure. Um, but it's also one of his shortest plays. It's not that long. Um, Julie Taymor. Um, I think the word to associate with her on almost anything she does is excess. Now, that's not a bad thing. That's just her thing. I mean, how um, good is, we talked about this, how good is Across the Universe? I, I, I like, you like it more than I do. Yeah, I do, but it's um, still gorgeous. Yeah, no, and that that's her thing. Like, that, like the, the visual, like, she's the one who fucking did Spider-Man the musical. Like, that was, that was her thing. So, the visuals and the, like, it's not just, like, the production design and the costume design. Everything about Titus is, like, feast your eyes on this. And it's a great Tony Hopkins performance from what I've read, right? Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's good. It's good. But like I don't again, it's it's weird to have the movie playing right now. Um I don't know what he's talking about. Like I I told Melissa cuz Melissa watched this with me. She doesn't always watch him, but she did this and at the beginning I said I think you'll be pleased to know this one um that's costume design cuz she's a she's a costume mm-hmm. designer. And she's watching the movie and she's like, "Yeah. It's it's gorgeous." And so I mean it's a movie about a guy who basically becomes a slave as a gladiator. Like, of course there are going to be like, I, we're, we're kind of break. We're kind of, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to skip over your point, And I know we're bridging into kind of what the movie is about. His wife and son are murdered. He finds their burnt corpses hanging in front of his house. Like kind of like with the elephant man in a way, like Roger Ebert, what movie were you wanting to watch? Like it, you have like you can't change the plot of the movie, and I and that's maybe that's his thing. Like he just didn't like it. Like I, and maybe it's just this is this is a bias I was gonna get into later. But like ninety eight through like two thousand and two, when I was like really in my young mind getting into film, most of my, a lot of my favorite films come from those four years. That's mm-hmm. just so like Gladiator, like fuck Spartacus, yes. fuck Ben Hur. Well, mm-hmm. this is this is like this is my movie. Easy on the fuck Ben Hur. Fuck Ben Hur. But yes, yeah, Spartacus. Spartacus <laughs> is fuck Ben Hur. Right, right in Charlton Heston's ass. Just well, fuck him. Yeah, well, yeah, right fuck, there. Fuck Charlton Heston. But let's I, let's fuck, go a little easy yeah, on, fuck on the fuck. But fuck Spartacus. It is honestly probably my least favorite Stanley Kubrick film because it's not a Kubrick film. I, well, I, he was I, a director I, for hire on that, and that film is far more drab than this. And also, while we're at fucking people, oh hello, Kirk Douglas said that this film is nowhere near as noble as Spartacus, which he's a rapist, so I don't give a shit about his opinion. Fuck him. Well, but the the thing about, like, Spartacus is just a really long morality tale. Like, oh, absolutely. Like, Sparta, like I, I've only seen it the once, and it left very little impression on me, but the only thing I know about Spartacus is that I am Spartacus. I am Spartacus. Like, oh, we're, we were building to this. Look at that. That's great. And Josh will appreciate <laughs> this. They do it so much better in Life of Brian. The, the parody in Life of Brian is so much better than anything in Spartacus. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I just, I, I, I don't know. I, I usually really respect, even if I disagree his opinion, but I just, I just plain wrong. <laughs> yeah, I, I get nothing more. So while we're, while we're talking about biases and his bias towards Spartacus, he also had a bias against video games. Now, Josh mm. is, is here because he's not only a big Russell Crowe fan, he's also got some podcast experience. You had your show with Jeffers and your fiance Amy. You had yeah. third-player games. You guys got up to 90 episodes right. talking about video game news, and you guys did a whole thing on, like, retro video games. Now, That's right. Roger Ebert's bias extended to that, and I love 
that he brings that up in this. He says the Colosseum looks like a model from a computer game. Any chance he got, he would rag on video games as a media. And I just want to deal with this subtangent really quick. He said video games can never be art. So I want your gut reaction to that, Josh. Uh well, I don't want to give my gut reaction because I do have a lot of respect for the dead. Um, I, I, uh, but it is it is incredibly frustrating because it's a it's kind of a it's kind of a a battle that you have to fight that uh, that uh, the video games are it, it's a childish thing because most people um, discovered them when they were kids or for a lot of us we kind of grew up with these things. Yeah, there's a but stigma around them. Exactly that, and but they don't realize just how much you know. There's they they think that it's Call of Duty and it's Madden and it's you know NBA 2K and and stuff like that. And there's there's so much out there that that most you know 90% of the population who don't pay attention aren't going to notice. Um, that kind of bias is extremely frustrating. I actually think the Coliseum looks pretty damn good for its time. Uh, you know, just a point on that. Yeah, but, no, it's, um, it still holds up. Yeah, exactly. But the idea that it can't be art. Just because a lot of the money doesn't go towards that, it's just like film. Like a lot of the money doesn't go to artistic films. It isn't a lot of money isn't raked in from artistic films. It's the same exact way with video games. A lot of the money gets raked in from the Call of Duties and those things. But you have a lot of beautiful pieces of art, I'll say, um, from a lot of the smaller studios that come like out. Like one that jumps to mind immediately is Limbo. Limbo, Limbo is yeah. a, a gorgeous piece mm-hmm. of, of gaming. Journey is a game called Journey. Just for the for those listening that are looking for recommendations that to me is the most beautiful one of the most beautiful um pieces of digital art you know especially in motion that that i've seen and that was a video game so, so his the, the article that he published where he called video games he said that video games can never be art came mm-hmm. out around the same time as shadow of the colossus mm-hmm. and that was Which, the one that people championed is that you are more wrong than you than yeah. you could possibly know you have to give him some grace that there's no way that he knows about those kinds of Things. Right, right. But come on, he's a don't he's be a so ignorant. And he's you know was trying to. I don't want to say getting clicks is a different time. But. Well, I just wonder how antiquated that that view is. I mean, I, the I feel like the when that argument really started was like Mortal Kombat, and I'm going yeah. way back. But yeah. like I remember, I remember having Mortal Kombat on super, my Super NES, and yeah, there's there's no I, I would say artistic value to that game. It's in a way, it's it's pretty deplorable. Right. But like to just, I feel like it's just like pigeonholing everything into mm. that, like that. That's why it's not good. Right. Like, right. well, sure, that sucks. But mm. I mean, you're just ignoring the the like the rest of it, which is a lot. Well, he's he reviewed plenty of shit films in his time. Is he gonna say that? Oh, just because this film was garbage, that means that all film can't be art. You can't paint in a in brush strokes. I just that I just broad. Would like to also rec- just point out that Roger Ebert gave a three and a half star review to the Garfield sequel that we covered on Below Freezing. That's that's correct. So <laughs> so is that for those hunting home? That's two stars for Gladiator and three, <laughs> three and a half for Garfield, Garfield. A Tale of Two Kitties. <laughs> We're not even talking about the first Garfield, oh. which which he loved. I think he had four stars too. Oh my god. <laughs> so Garfield is art, of course. Yes, but, indeed, okay. indeed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Glad- Garfield is art, but Gladiator is not. Right. <laughs> so I mean, take uh, Roger Ebert. We're not shitting on Roger Ebert's legacy. It's just uh, when he was wrong, he yeah. was very wrong. <laughs> he would right. later. He would later partially recant that statement in about mm-hmm. 2010, where he said, "Well, okay, maybe video games can be art, but we are when you we're at the sort of cave painting end of that." Yeah. He was. I think he was very short sighted in yeah. that view, saying, "We're we're at the chicken scratch end." We're not at the system. We're no nobody living in the world in 2010 will ever see the Sistine Chapel end of it, mm-hmm. which 
again, I think he's very wrong. I think he was very short-sighted in that view. Yeah. Now, he's, he's brilliant, uh, right more times than not. So you have to, in order for us to feel good about ourselves, we have to pick at the things that he, the one, one in a hundred times where he said something ridiculous yeah. to make ourselves And I, I highly recommend the the documentary about him, yeah. Life Itself. It's it's really good. Yeah. It's, it's a good I documentary. might be watching that for our documentary episode next week. Hey, look at that. There you go. Um, so, I mean, if you haven't seen Gladiator, let me, I'm just, I'm just going to like try to steamroll through what, so uh, Russell Crowe plays Maximus. He is a Roman general. Um, he, he opens up the movie leading uh, the Romans to victory and um, Marcus Aurelius, the, the emperor uh, wants to make him the next emperor of Rome and not his son, uh, which is played by Joaquin Phoenix, Commodus. Um, before Russell Crowe decides, uh, he tells Commodus, no, you're not going to be emperor. And Commodus kills him, thus sort of just by default becoming the next emperor. Um, Russell Crowe says, uh, it doesn't say this, but basically he's like, fuck you, I'm not going to serve you. And because of that, um, Commodus is like, nope, I'm going to kill you, except for <laughs> except for Russell Crowe is a fucking badass and like kills six people. It's wonderful. But uh, uh, he tries to get home. His wife and son uh, are murdered. And I think he just, you know, in, 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 in grief, uh, passes out and he gets sort of uh, taken into slavery as a gladiator and basically fights his way all the way into Rome where Commodus is doing 150 days of games and eventually reveals himself to Commodus and basically uh, tries to fight for his freedom i dig it cool great now Uh, this is the part of the show where i ask oh do you guys like lists i i love lists (laughs) i love lists i love lamp i I love lamp i love lamp (laughs) are you just saying you love lamp or do you actually love i love lamp (laughs) i love lamp so i'm gonna save one of the lists for later on in the show because we'll be doing our russell crowe mount rushmore indeed so that'll sort of lead us into that nicely and maybe have some influence on how our mount rushmores go but i will start uh i will do one list now which is a i've been trying to do sort of alternative lists obviously uh last week i had the uh films with the most uses of the word fuck indeed so i remember i think one of my favorite alternative lists of yours as i'm remembering was terry gilliam's favorite animated films of all time well and it led to us singing what a weird list that was. I, I, I kind of, I, I really was happy when I found that. And it led to us, you know, you know, singing Uncle Fucker, singing Uncle Fucker right. testing out our singing chops again. You know, one day we'll get an acapella group going, but you know, we're not quite there yet. Yep. Uh, so I have another alternative list. This is, uh, there's a, uh, uh, an online uh, sort of magazine radio station thing in Britain, Heart U, uh, heart.co.uk. They have a list. Of uh, I just have the top ten, but they have a list of the twenty films that make men cry. Oh, so here we go. Here's I'm a, here an alternative go. list. Here's the top ten we'll, films according we, to Heart.com. We all have to admit if, if we've cried. Oh, I, because of sure. because of these movies. I, I'll cry at the end of this movie right now. Okay. Uh, here we go. So at number ten, uh, an episode that we've done, Stand by Me. Can't say I cried. I did it, not. I I cried the first time I saw that movie. The, it, and it's obviously it's the. Uh, uh, um, River Phoenix, you know, talking the about the, the yeah, could be a real writer, Gordy. Well, no, not that. No, that that one. Okay. No, the uh, you know the 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 teacher that you know framed him oh, for stealing like that whole moment. That's the whole moment. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. Good stuff. Uh, number nine, another episode we've done. It's a wonderful life. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. If you if you haven't cried during yeah. that, you're kind of soulless. <laughs> uh, at number eight, again, I will right now every time I cry because it's not your fault. Oh. It's not your oh. fault. Uh, yeah. Goodwill Hunting yeah. Yeah. is right there at number eight. That is a... Fuck, that movie's so good. 
Uh, number seven is a Pixar film, but probably not the one you're thinking of. It's Wally. No. Yeah, Wally. I don't know that it cried. It did. It did. It, uh, that one is very near and dear to me. Yeah. Um, and I do get, I guess, a little emotional well up inside. Um, but I'm kind of dead on the inside, so it takes a lot <laughs> to really kind of crack that. This was right on the edge, so I guess I give it a, a half cry. Well, there's a, there's another Pixar film on the list on this list all the way down at number twenty is Toy Story three, which I honestly I think they should be reversed. I I actually did I I actually did. Tear, tear up a bit until at the end of Toy Story three. Oh, you know, but, but not. But I didn't cry when they're in the trash compactor. I, no, I, no, it's it's the end. Yeah, where he it, gives I the was toys. like, oh mm. shit, he's really saying bye. Yeah, when he <laughs> gives the toys to the little girl. Yeah, yeah of course, I teared up. Uh, number six is a movie that just irritates the ever loving fuck out of me. Is Million Dollar Baby? Yeah. Yeah. You've seen Million Dollar Baby, right? Oh now. yeah, the uh, Clint Eastwood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, did yeah. That did that movie, that movie did literally nothing for me. It did something for me. I I, I didn't cry. It made yeah. me sad. I mean, I was into it. I I do yeah. like. I have a soft spot for Clint. Eastwood. Talk about but, but, sorry. It's a good. Did, it's a good talk Morgan about Freeman. depressing movies yeah. though. Yeah, yeah. Jesus I, think, I think that's the problem. Christ. Is that the whole last like what like thirty minutes is just like you're just upset the whole last thirty minutes. So. Yeah, it's I don't know if there was any one moment that I really like. It all came to a head for me. Yeah, but, that's a good point. Uh, number five movie I haven't seen Marley and Me. Oh no, I haven't seen it. Yeah. You haven't seen it. I, 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 this m- might be the only movie that I've seen that neither of you have seen. Yeah. I've seen it multiple times, <laughs> not on purpose, but you know. <laughs> I love the little tag yeah. of not on purpose. <laughs> is no, this I is this an Amy movie? No, I don't no? Even think. Jeez, no. Wow. I guess I just have this secret. Am I the only one that's seen yeah. this movie? I, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what it's about, but I haven't yeah. seen it. The only yeah. one, the only person in this state, probably. I think so. <laughs> no, but no, I did not cry this one. Uh, number four is Dead Poet Society. No. I haven't seen that one, actually. I'm right. to admit. Oh, just, hey, yeah. man, it's all right. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like there's two moments where you could, and I, nah. Yeah. I, didn't. I mean, it, it's I fine. I felt myself like like I wanted to, but it's all, it's all, it's too saccharine. This it's is the Robin Williams. Yeah, Robin Williams. Right. The, uh, yeah. Oh, Captain. My, my oh, Captain. Yeah, right. where they all stand on their desks at the end. Mm-hmm. There's a Robert Sean Leonard kills himself in it. Yes. Yeah. Ethan, yeah. It was an early role for Ethan mm-hmm. Hawke. Ethan Hawke is fucking great in it. Mm-hmm. Number three makes no sense to me, but it, it feels like a, a very nostalgic sort of choice. It's Bambi. I don't know. I've, I actually, I've, I saw this movie when I was young. I saw it at an appropriate age, but I can't yeah. say that I actually like this movie. I think nearly as much as maybe it deserves or maybe as yeah. others, but I'll go with it. I never no. got attached to this one. Yeah. yeah, it didn't leave much of an impression on me. Yeah. My, my grandmother loves it and, and she can remember seeing it. Yeah. Um, number two is Gladiator. That's why we're here. No, I didn't cry. You don't cry at the end of no. Gladiator? I do. I did. Actually, yes. And, you did. And what the weird thing is I've seen this movie countless times and it's only the last couple times I saw it. Uh, that I actually which it's is that, weird because I know what's coming and but I guess I was just really into it's it. It's those but. Lisa Gerard vocals and now we are free. It's which we'll talk about I'm sure yeah. later on. But <laughs> that particular moment um, never used to get me. But yeah, yeah I, I have to it's, admit yes. it's tough, man. Yeah. Uh, number one, this is so fucking weird to me. Uh, Schindler's List is on the list, but it's much further down. That would have been my number one because mm-hmm. the moment where he says, you know, they give him the ring with whoever saves one life saves the world, it's, uh, saves the world entire. Yeah. Quote from the Talmud. And he says, with this, I could have gotten one more, two more. That fucking devastates me. Mm-hmm. So Schindler's List is not number one. But Jerry Maguire is. Number one. Jerry Maguire is number, according to this this uh, this website in the in the UK, Jerry Maguire is the number one movie that will make men cry. You know, it's funny. I don't know I, about that. I don't think I cried. I know 
I know for me, and I don't even want to give this, I don't even want to attribute it to the movie, but I know when Secret Garden starts to play, just because I, I like that song, I get a little like emotional, but I can't say it's because of what's happening in the movie. It's because of spring. It's because of the boss. Yeah. 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 Well, she, she'd, be, she'd be happy maybe, but, but you'd feel better. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I just I rewatched High Fidelity for the first time in a long time the other day. Love it. So there we go. That's an alternative list according to heart.co.uk, movies that make men cry. So you know what? I how about we just start with this? My first note is the score is so good. <laughs> so we've we've tiptoed around the score a little bit. So it's the score that made Hans Zimmer. I don't think there's really any debates there. I mean, he had gotten some some publicity. What was it a year or two years before with the Prince of Prince of Egypt? That sort of helped propel him. But this this is the one. Mm-hmm. Even right? the Prince of Egypt wasn't even uh, the the notoriety as far as the soundtrack goes is for the the. The kind of pop hits, so yeah. to speak. Yeah, you know, the, not, vo- not the vocal pop, but yeah, yeah, the actual like songs itself. You know, like a like, almost like a Disney movie. But and the one word I kept writing down was just how eclectic it was. Like it's yeah, all yeah. over the place, yeah. and and I feel like normally that would bug me, but it doesn't in this. I it really, you know, I, I it, like kind of like the the editing in a way. The editing should almost go unnoticed or be so obvious that it's part of the storytelling. And for right. me, it's like the score is just another character. Mm-hmm. It it really does help us know where we are. And I think I think part of part of why it works in my opinion is that because they they hit so many different locations and so many different moods. Um we'll talk maybe we'll talk a little bit about it, but like that Ridley really loved to use heavy on the covey fil- color filters in this because you're really trying to show, you know, like the classic, like it's yellow, you're in Mexico kind of deal. But but this place has so many different um, environments or whatever. And I think that's part of why what makes the the score, like the fact that you got away with it being so varied. And in, in this case, it doesn't, it doesn't, it never feels weird to me. You know, like if you listen to it from start to finish, it's like all over the place. Yeah. But, um, but really works, especially when you're, you know, well, emotionally, it, it hits all the right beats for me. It's haunting when it needs to be haunting. It's it's filled with revelry when it needs to. It's mm-hmm. got that driving, those driving horns mm-hmm. that Hans Zimmer is so fond of. Um, it, it's got the that emotional undercurrent, as I've mentioned, with Lisa Girard's uh, vocals, especially towards the end. It's just it hits. It hits me in all the right places in the way that something by Danny Alfman or John Williams, those guys that lean on the same kinds of, of tropes Themes that and, are yeah. so much a part of their career. And of course, Hans Zimmer would go on to repeat himself quite heavily, I think, after this. If you if you look at the score for the Pirates of the Caribbean films, now I know he didn't compose the, the score for the first one, though he was a, a soundtrack supervisor on that, and he did go on to score uh, some of the later ones. I mean, this beat for beat, the theme to pirates is taken straight out of this. I, I won't disagree with you. I was I, I was thinking that when I was oh, watching it, I was like, this is this feels. And it's also got a flavor of a film that he did a few years before, The Rock. Mm-hmm. I, I feel a little bit of The Rock in this. Right. I don't know, Adam, if that rings true with you or not. It's been a hot minute since I've seen and, The Rock. Oh, okay, The Rock is like a once a year guilty pleasure <laughs> for me. I I fucking adore that film. That's not my bay of choice though. Your Bay of Choice is Armageddon. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, my Bay of Choice is very much The Rock. I like The Rock, though. Just sort of the, the Rock is fucking great. Um, so can I, can I, I, I just, I want to, I want to do something now. I just, I, I, I have to do something now. So, um, I, I, I might have mentioned this. I'm not sure if I mentioned it on mic or not, but like half of my notes were just lines from this movie 
that I really like. <laughs> now, um, <laughs> so I, I've, we've mentioned this before. I'm an, I'm an actor. Now, I do not claim to be good at impressions. And what you hear now may not be a good one. Um, I only ever do like two impressions from film. One is from The Patriot. And it's a Tom Wilkinson line where he goes, damn him, damn that man. And it's one of my like favorite lines ever, just ever. I love saying it. But so so here it is. I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best right now. I wrote it down because I gotta I gotta get it word perfect. Do you want me to lead you in? Sure. My name is Gladiator. How dare you turn your back to me, slave? You will remove your helmet and tell me your name. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the North, general of the Felix, Felix legions. Loyal servant to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius. Father to a murdered son. Husband to a murdered wife. And I will have my vengeance. In this life or the next. Nice. I give you a Garfield three and a half. And Ian, I give you a Gladiator two stars. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, he, gets, he just gets so gravelly at the end there. Oh, he and does. I, w- I will have my vengeance. In this life or the next. <laughs> he, he does get ragged on quite a bit for his English oh, accent. I was, no, gonna, no. I was gonna ask how you felt he did. I well, mean, I, he's worse in Robin Hood. Yeah. His accent in Robin Hood is fucking all... At first he's northern, then he's southern, then he's northern again, then he's might as well be Welsh. That I have no G- fucking idea. That GQ interview, they show the, that, that just a short clip from Robin Hood. I'm like, I'm like, oh man, what are you doing? Yeah, that's, that's not good. What is this movie? I forgot. I saw that Marion, I've, come, I've come to rescue you. Oh my God. Robin Hood? Yeah, I saw yeah. the theaters too. Woof. Again, the director's cut is better. Fine. Mm-hmm. Whatever. No, it genuinely is. From like shit to okay, is that what we're talking about? Yes. Or? Okay, great. <laughs> just, just checking. <laughs> well, I say shit to marginally enjoyable. Okay, cool. Gotcha. 